Hello and welcome to Account Instruction Help and How To. We're going to continue with audit here. We're going to be discussing the audit environment. Our objectives, what we will be able to at the end of this, will be to define different types of auditors, list types of attest and assurance services, describe the organizational structure of an accounting firm, a typical public accounting firm, and explain the need for audit standards and how they are established. So we're going to start off with an explanation of the different types of auditors out there. It can get a bit confusing as things get more specialized. For example, we have external auditors, we have internal auditors, we've got government auditors, we have forensic auditors, and then we have the IRS having audits and all this going on. So first of all, I do want to separate the idea of the IRS audits from uh, some of these other type of audits because the IRS does do examinations. Many times what they're doing is an examination. They've actually returned some of that to an examination. So they're going back in and, and examining the correctness or not oftentimes of whether something was reported correctly. So we're not going to be focusing in on, on IRS type audits here. I would try to keep that separately from the public accounting practices. The public accounting practice may deal with the, with the IRS audits, but it's not part of uh, the auditing process in the public accounting firm. And we'll talk, we'll talk about that a bit more later. Other types of auditors, we've got external auditors, we've got internal auditors, We've got government auditors, we've got forensic auditors. So these are all different types of, of use of the terms of auditors and different areas where auditors can be. We, of course, will be focusing on external auditors. When we think about most of the time, when we think about public accounting firms and we think about auditing financial statements, we're usually thinking about an external auditor, which is usually an independent, well, it has to be an independent external auditor. So an independent auditor is equivalent to an external auditor. So an independent auditor is going to be the ones that oftentimes will, will audit the financial statements on the external audits. And in order to do that, in order to give an opinion in that case, the external auditor uh, and the independent auditor needs to be a, a certified public accountant in order to sign off on the opinion. And we'll talk about the sizes of firms, but they can range anywhere, anywhere from a sole proprietor, uh, CPA, to, a, to large firms in that area. We then have the internal auditors. And internal auditors are going to be doing a lot of the same procedures within an audit. They're going to be testing the audit, looking at the, the controls, but they're going to be an employee of the company rather than, a, than an external auditor, which is in a separate CPA firm. That's going to be the major big distinction. We, we want the external auditor to be separate from the company so that they can give that independent decision. And the internal auditor has a, has a different role. That is to increase the, the work, the performance of the organization, to do much of the same type of testing, to, do, to achieve much of the same types of goals in terms of operational goals, uh, but they're going to do it from an internal perspective in the organization. Now, the, the external auditor and the internal auditor could end up working together at the end of the year, the, I mean, or any time in the year. You could have uh, the external auditor using internal auditors' working papers and whatnot to help with the audit. But of course, they can't rely exclusively on the internal auditing working papers because of that uh, not being separate, not being independent problem. So within the internal auditors, there's the uh, institution of internal auditors. is going to be an organization related to the internal auditors. We then have government auditors. Now, government auditors, we're going to think about the same kind of thing as an internal auditor, but then for a government organization. So if like the IRS is an example of an organization which will have internal auditors, the internal auditors are there to improve the systems and whatnot from the organization of the IRS. So you have the same similar types of objectives that we would have with an internal auditor for a large company and uh, those being applied to an organization such as the IRS or a government organization. 
Then we have the forensic auditors. So forensic auditors are often the most interesting when people hear the forensic auditors. And those, of course, are going to be the ones that, that are going to be doing the criminal type auditing and looking for forensic issues. So things like fraud are going to be specialized types of areas where the forensic auditors will be trained to go in and deal with those types of situations. The Association of Certified Fraud Examiners is an organization uh, set for forensic auditors. So within the field of accounting, of course, we've got this subfield of auditing being a specific um, profession, a, a more defined profession. And then, of course, now we're having the subfields as things become more complicated. And uh, we have the external auditors, the internal auditors, the government auditors, the forensic auditors. We, of course, are going to be spending most of our time here with the external auditors. And that, those are going to be the people that are giving that, that external opinion on the financial statements that are the responsibility of the organization. And uh, the auditors are giving an opinion on those financial statements. Now, types of a test and audit services. When we think of a test and audit services, we often think of the audit itself. And when we think about the audit, we do think about the financial statements. But remember, there could be other things that we could be attesting to. We could be attesting to, for example, the internal controls and seeing just attesting to that piece, uh, how those are being formatted. We could be attesting to uh, some kind of compliance audit. For example, something that's in compliance with certain type of regulations. We can be attesting to the operational uh, operations of the organization to see if those are in compliance. So we're basically giving our attestation, our opinion, or some type of assurance on something that we are asked to do, though, that we, of course, are paid to, to do that on. So we're given the independent third party on attesting to some type of thing, usually that thing being the financial statements in the form of an audit, but we can attest to a wide range of different things as well. Now, when we think about the size of a public accounting firm, remember, we can go anywhere from a, from a single sole proprietor accounting firm who could perform audits and whatnot and form attestation services all the way up to very large firms, which could be the big four being the largest at this point. So the big four include PricewaterhouseCooper, Ernst & Young, Deloitte & Touche, KPMG are going to be the large organizations, the large firms. And when we think about publicly traded companies, a large, great majority of the publicly traded companies are going to be handled and audited by the big four. And we know that, of course, the publicly traded companies are the ones that are required to have the audits. And uh, there are also organizations that could be all over the world, all over certain countries and all over the world. And therefore, the big fours are often large enough to basically be able to handle the audits of such large organizations. Now, smaller, smaller organizations and firms and mid-sized firms can compete somewhat with uh, the big four to force those large contracts if they, one, they're fairly large in terms of, of their regional, the mid-tier firms such as BDO, Sidman can compete on that level. And uh, smaller firms could get together and try to uh, basically do, break out the audit. So we can have a firm uh, in one organization part of the country here and another uh, firm in another part of the country and could try to compete for large contracts as well uh, using that by pooling their resources together. But uh, then we have the mid-sized firms. Then we got the more regional and local type of firms, which would be the smaller organizations going all the way from a smaller organization down to just uh, sole proprietors in a, in a local's areas. Now, when you're thinking about going and working for types of organizations, it really depends on what you want from the organization in terms of which organization you want to be in. If you're looking to go to a firm that's going to be working within the big four, within the big four and a lot of uh, publicly traded companies, then the larger firms are going to be where you want to be because you want to be in the larger companies. Many times the, the route there would be to work in the, in the big four CPA firms and then possibly get a job within these large companies after some set point of time within that range. 
uh, if you're the smaller type of organizations, the small type of firms may be doing less with the large companies and they may be doing more with uh, local companies or specializes in terms of audits. So if you're working at a smaller firm, they may have more of their business and non-attest services like taxation and uh, bookkeeping and, and uh, consulting and that type of thing. And the audits that they do have may be more specialized, meaning states often have times when they require audits, even if the company is not publicly traded. So if you're talking about escrow companies or if a company needs to get bonding or something like that, companies need loans or things like that, these are times when types of audits could be needed for smaller organizations and, and oftentimes uh, smaller CPA firms will have niches in that type of area. Now there's a lot that can be learned in any kind of level within a, a public accounting firm. You really get to see a lot of different type of clients and you get to see a lot of different areas within them. Uh, if you work for a, a larger organization, you're probably going to end up specializing a bit more into a specific area because there's just so much detail. We have to have more specialization. If you work at a, a smaller firm and you work on smaller audits, then you're probably going to be doing a lot more of the entire audit process, but none of the audit process is quite as detailed. Now, if we think about how a team would be set up for an audit team, we would generally have the partner is the individual that would set up the audit. They would actually set up the audit, agree to the audit, set the engagement up, get the terms, look at the scope of the audit, and then they're usually going to have some senior staff, some senior management that will actually conduct most of the details of the audit, being the ones that will actually do more of the detailed planning within the audits, now, this could vary depending on if we have a new audit or if it's an audit that's been done many, a lot uh, for many years in a row and it's one that doesn't have a lot of change. So we're going to have to determine that in terms of in this planning stage. And then we're, we're going to have some lower level staff and the lower staff, which are going to do a lot of the actual testing, a lot of the grunt work in terms of the actual substantive testing within the audit process. So we'll dig deeper onto that at a later time. We've also seen increases in the regulations with regard to audits of specifically publicly traded companies. For example, in 2002, Congress passed the Sarbanes-Oxley Public Company Accounting Reform and Investor Protection Act. This was as a response to some scandals that were happening prior to this, one of the biggest ones being Enron, Enron being audited by the accounting firm of Arthur Anderson at that time. And they were one of the largest publicly accounting firms, and it was found that the financial statements were materially misstated for some time. Now, the conclusion of this was that uh, part of the problem may have been that the public accounting firms were doing a substantial amount of business with the company, in this case, Enron and Arthur Anderson, were doing business outside of just the audit engagement, meaning other types of engagements that were accounting for a substantial amount of revenue were influencing Arthur Anderson's decision to not report substantial misstatements on the financial statements. So, for example, if it was thought that if a company was doing a lot of engagements in terms of consulting or other types of high revenue engagements on top of the auditing, that is making the independence of the firm be subject. So the, the firm is no longer independent and therefore that's a problem. So that's one of the things that the Sarbanes-Oxley Act is going to look to address is to try to reestablish that in terms of independence and try to give some definitions in terms of what a public accounting firm can do on top of an auditing process for a client. It also transferred the authority to set enforcement auditing standards to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board for publicly traded companies. Now note that this is going to cause a lot more in terms of cost oftentimes because a lot of these large firms, it would be natural for them to go to their 
a CPA firm and ask for advice in terms of their internal controls and these some of these types of things that are now going to be forbidden under the new Sarbanes-Oxley Act. So again, we have that balance that we're going to have between uh, we, we want to keep the independence and keep the uh, transparency through the increase in regulations. And we also want to not increase the cost of the added regulations to the point where they're not paying off for the added benefit from that transparency. Now, these problems lead to the question of how much should the audit be detecting fraud? What's the responsibility of the audit process to detect fraud? And notice the responsibility, the auditor has the responsibility to plan and perform the audit to obtain a reasonable assurance about the, whether the financial statements are free of material misstatement, whether caused by fraud or not. So note that the, the idea of fraud for a general purposes is within the objective of the financial statements in that the audit is there to detect substantial misstatement. If that substantial misstatement is caused by fraud, then it's there to detect the fraud. If there's, if there's fraud going on that is not to the level that it's going to materially impact someone's decision about the financial statements, it's quite possible that the audit process won't detect that level of fraud. When conducting the audit, we also want to get a good understanding of the type of business, the type of industry in which the business is in. In designing the audit, we're going to need to design it around the type of organization and type of business that the organization is in. This will help us, this will be mandatory for us to conduct the audit well. And it's also going to save time for us because we want to plan the audit procedures in the most efficient way. So there's some things that are going to be kind of the same from organization to organization. For example, every organization is there to create value for the owners, usually the shareholders. That's going to be a typical thing. We want to generate revenue. The company is there to generate revenue. The company is there to add value to the owners, the shareholders. So we have that same goal, but the objectives of that could differ greatly, of course, depending on the type of business that we are in. So typically, we're going to have the management and the board of directors. The management and the board of directors are going to come up with a business objective and strategy, and they're going to help to implement that strategy and create some type of internal controls in order to achieve that strategy in order to generate value for the owners. So they're going to have internal controls over the transactions, the procedures that will happen within an organization. Now, we can often think of those procedures as different kind of segments of the organization, different cycles of the organization, different pieces of the organization. And for example, we could have the purchasing process within an organization. Every organization is going to have some purchasing process. We're probably going to have some typical type of internal controls that we would hope that there would be some uh, you know, separation of duties, some kind of approval process within the purchasing process. But depending on types of purchases, do we have very large purchases versus small pur purchases or uh, what type of purchasing process do we have? the controls could differ greatly depending on what type of organization we're in. If we're looking at human resources, again, much of it we would hope that would be fairly standardized and we can look at it in somewhat of a standardized way based on regulations within the human resources profession. But depending on the type of organization, the human resources could vary in size greatly, could vary in types of things that the resources department handles in a large way as well. Inventory. Inventory is another area where the question is, well, one, do they have inventory? Are we dealing with a type of organization that has inventory? If they have inventory, do they create the inventory in-house? Do they purchase the inventory? Uh, do they manufacture, in other words, or do they buy and sell inventory? Uh, do the size of the inventory change? What type of inventory valuation method do they use? First in, first out, uh, last in, first out, average method. These are all things that we want to uh, take a look at and be familiar with when we go into the auditing process. Uh, we could have the revenue recognition cycle. So how, how is re revenue recognized? Do we receive compensation? Do we receive cash at the point 
of sale at that point in time? Do we bill the client and receive the revenue at a later point in time? Do we have things like long-term contracts? Uh, I worked with a lot of construction companies which have different types of revenue recognition principles, uh, completed contract percentage of completion, these types of things. We have to understand how those things work if we're going to go in, of course, to that type of industry and do some research on that. Financing process, do we have, you know, do, do they have a lot of loans to finance? How are they financing the organization? And so these are all types of areas and many types of, of audits are going to be designed and specialized in, in separate in different areas. So uh, if we're talking about some types of firms may specialize in, in specific industries, uh, they may specialize in construction, they may specialize in, in manufacturing or something like this. And if they're not specialized in that industry and we're picking up a new client that uh, is kind of outside of that uh, industry or that niche, then we, of course, will need to do a substantial amount of research in order to get the understanding of that particular uh, company or that diff particular area that they do business in in order to conduct and plan the audit properly. There are 10 generally accepted auditing standards that were created in 1947 that were used as guidelines for the auditing process. They have been modified in more recent years by the PCAOB for publicly traded companies and these are going to be applicable to the pro auditing process. So in order to regulate financial statements that are created in terms of GAAP, we would use GAS. So GAS are going to be the regulations generally accepted auditing standards in order to help to regulate to see whether the financial statements are created in accordance to GAAP, GAAP being the generally accepted accounting principles. So we can break these uh, GAS, generally accepted auditing standards, into three main groups. That would be the, so the 10 standards will be broken into these three main groups. We have the general, we have the fieldwork group, we've got the reporting group. Under the general group, we include the adequate technical training and proficiency. So does the audit uh, team have the adequate training in which to perform the audit, including a knowledge of the type of industry that they are auditing? Independence. So are, is the auditing team independent? And that's going to be a big deal. We'll talk about many, many types of standards for independence, both in terms of appearance and actuality and do professional care. So was the due professional care done in order to go through the procedures needed in order to conduct the audit? And then we have the field work group of the generally accepted auditing standards and that includes the adequate planning of supervised assistance. So did we actually have the planning involved within the, within the process and have we included supervision from senior staff within the audit team in order to audit the procedures done by less senior staff? We want to obtain sufficient understanding of internal controls. So we want to understand what the internal controls of the organization are. That's going to help us obtain the scope and see how much information we need to gather in terms of substantive testing. We want to obtain sufficient appropriate evidential matter. So how much was the actual testing that we went out and tested? We want to make sure that we have enough evidence to support the opinions that we have at the conclusion of the audit. And then we have the reporting standards. Are the financial statements reported in alignment with generally accepted accounting principles? We have the consistency standards. Are the financial statements consistently applying the generally accepted accounting principles when creating the financial statements and reporting the financial statements? We have the disclosure standard. Disclosures meaning are everything that should be disclosed disclosed, including anything that would have a material impact on the decision of users. And then, of course, we have the opinion our opinion being accepting how much responsibility we have for these financial statements.
The principles under the generally accepted auditing standards are considered to be the minimum type of principles that the audit needs to be designed in order to achieve. So in order to tie this up, we want to remember that the audit process is going to be the idea that we have an independent third party. The independent third party is providing some type of audit or assurance and opinion on the accuracy of the financial statements, the financial statements being the responsibility of management and the reporting to be in compliance with some standard. We are generally going to be using generally accepted accounting standards. So we want to report an opinion on whether the financial statements are in accordance with generally accepted accounting standards. We're going to use generally accepted auditing standards, GAS standards, in order to help with the process in order to do that. The responsibilities of the audit is to be in accordance with the ethical responsibilities and follow the guidelines and do the due diligence of the audit process in order to collect the evidence in which to make a reasonable decision on whether the financial statements are materially correct in accordance with uh, generally accepted accounting standards. Then, of course, our responsibility is to express that opinion based on the evidence that we have gathered.